Well, believe it or not, we've reached the halfway point of the winter months. How does it feel? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I lived in Arizona for just a brief bit uh, when I was in college, and, uh, and I discovered while in Arizona that I actually like the Four Seasons. And uh, Nat was growing up in Kansas where our, the Four Seasons was a little bit more blurry. But here in Pennsylvania, it's beautiful, like beautiful springs, beautiful falls. The summers are, are moderate, and our winters are tolerable. Uh, we at least have sun occasionally. Uh, during these winter months. And so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the fall, uh, the spring where we can actually be outside. I know some of you are into a lot of outdoor activities, and I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, but while we're in the midst of winter, uh, there's opportunities for sure uh, to continue to do life and enjoy life. And one of the things that we are providing right now on Wednesdays uh, is another night of engaging culture through a gospel lens. Now, this past Wednesday night, uh, we had the opportunity of opening the Word and looking at a couple questions on how to engage culture in light of the many things that seem to be going on that disturb us or might affect our children in schools, uh, might affect our communities. And, and we're looking and saying, it doesn't line up with the way we understand Scripture to say, uh, and, and we're concerned by how those things are being taught and lived out around our communities and especially around our children. And so the, the challenge was, is how do we then engage those things with a gospel lens? How do we go about uh, meeting at, uh, with our people and our communities in a way that is constructive to the gospel? And so we had a large group here last uh, Wednesday night, and I know some of you were, may have opted out because you couldn't be here for one reason or another, but you may have opted out because you're concerned that it would go super long like school board meetings uh, or it'd be, you know, virtual language or whatever. Well, I got good news. We only went 15 minutes late, uh, so that's not bad at all. And, uh, and then we uh, actually had a very good spirit. And we asked a lot of good questions. There were people that were coming with very good questions, and the, and the tenor of the night was excellent. We've had some good follow-up questions that's come our ways. But it was just neat. As elders were up here with Bibles in their hands, responding to the various questions, uh, it was a beautiful display of, of going to the Word of God and trusting the Word of God for direction in times such as this. We're going to do that again this coming Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about some of the, the people relationships, especially in regards to uh, different ethnicity and, and different cultures and so on, uh, that can become kind of toxic and tenuous at, at best. And so there's some scriptures I'm going to have on the screen that if you want to do some pre-reading on, you can take a picture with your phone right now or our tablet, or you can go to our website. There's a link to these things on the website as well. And, uh, and so you can read these scriptures, prepare for maybe some questions you might have in return. Uh, but the three questions we will be asking that night from up here would be, what does scripture say about race and immigration that would be helpful to the American discourse on these issues? Secondly, how is the gospel a superior solution for racial tension than any human theory? And then thirdly, what role should a follower of Christ play in public discussions and policies regarding race and immigration? 
And so those will be the three questions we address uh, from up here, and we'll be using the Word of God for our direction. And I look forward to doing it. I hope you'll come and participate with us. It's very special. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, It's helpful to have those with you as we go through these things, and pre-reading would be much more helpful than coming cold. Uh, So we look forward to another evening of doing that. So having said that, let's go to prayer and let's look at the text that we're going to be studying this morning. So Father God, I am truly thankful that we are not left without answers, we're not left without direction, we're not left alone, but you're invested, you're engaged, and you have created mankind out of, from your image, and we, are, we bear your likeness. And as a result, you love us all, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And there's an opportunity we have with the gospel to provide direction uh, for how the gospel is the solution to racial tension. And so I ask, Lord, that your blessing would be upon that night. But then, Lord, as we go into the text today that is definitely uh, related to that and how we interact with each other and, uh, and how you've set guidance on how we can walk by the Spirit in a manner that brings wholeness to our relationships, I ask God that today would speak to our hearts, that your word would be powerful and effective, that we can't let it go until we reconcile what your Spirit is telling us. So we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4, and we'll be concluding that chapter here this morning. And if you're new here, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Tony, and I'm pastor here at LEFC. And uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians since September. We chose this this letter from Paul uh, because it speaks to uh, a lot of the, the, uh, the lack of unity that happens between people of the church and, uh, and that can happen, yes, even with the work of God in us. Uh, and what Paul ends up doing masterfully is he brings us back to the gospel in chapters 1 and 2 to remind us that the gospel is what brought us all together to begin with. That Jew and Gentile were separated. There was a wall of hostility between us and them. And most of us being here Gentile here this morning, assuming that, that there was a, div- a divisive wall there. But the gospel tore that down and brought the two together to form one church, one family, one nation under God. And so with that reconciling work of the gospel, there's then fruit of that and the intended fruit of that that God has for us. And you'll find that as chapter 4 begins to segue and saying, in light of that gospel that has brought you all together, now let's live out that gospel between each other as Christ modeled for us. So chapter four guides us there. And the beginning part of chapter four talks about how the church was brought together and built to be dependent upon each other. We literally are designed to help each other grow in this journey to becoming more like Christ. And so as he goes there through verse 16, then in verses 17 and following, it begins to say, then how is this possible where all of us can help each other. Well, there's personal responsibility. So there's the the macro side of it, of the church under Christ, and then there's you, the micro side of it, the part that where God does his transforming work in your life to benefit not only you, but 
other people as well. And so that's where we've been the last three weeks, looking at the micro look of you on, for, on behalf of others, that God does his work in you so that others can benefit as well. So let's continue forward in that text. Uh, as we learned last week in verses 17, or 20 to 24, that it's not about you. God is doing this work in you so that you, not only you are transformed, but others. And that a big way that you, a major way by where you can help others is by the words you speak to each other. So truth is something we're called to speak to one another. But it's also true that the, that the way we handle and speak that truth must be wisely spoken so that it's building somebody else up and that that truth is not used to tear somebody down. So our spirit, our attitude, our motive, our timing is all under the authority and work of God so that we do it in a manner that truly builds somebody up. But even if we do it well, the reality is, is that sometimes even when we do it well, people don't receive truth from somebody else at all. And so anger comes to the forefront. And that anger towards you may cause you to become angry. And so anger is pretty much an involuntary response to brokenness between you and other people. And anger, while not initially sinful, can become sin when you choose to hold on to it or you choose to just ignore it and let it kind of percolate under the surface, and it starts to take away from you in time. In fact, in verse 27, you're, when we read it here in a moment, you're going to see that we're cautioned from letting anger reside in us because it can become a new platform by where Satan can begin to transform you back into his likeness. You see, we're being transformed on a daily basis. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we are being transformed daily to become like him. So that's why we teach Christ, is so that we can become like him and all that he said and did. And in that journey, we become different. But if we allow anger, as verse 27 says, if we allow anger to find a foothold in us, then that transformation starts being reversed. We start becoming more like the adversary to our souls. Because Satan would love for us to become more like him where he operates in fury and antagonism to our souls. And so if we hold on to anger, there's a spot where Satan begins to work you back towards being like him. So in the end of the day, verses 28 and 29 guides us into today's text where literally our words and our deeds are meant to be constructive in the lives of other people. Nothing that would cause rot, a rotting of the soul of another, but only that which will build up. So let's begin by reading in verse 22, and then we'll continue into verses 30 to 32, which will be our primary text today. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may be, have something to share with those in need, which Ken was mentioning that earlier, that 
We gain more, we work hard to gain more so that we have more capacity to give. That takes from verse 28. Verse 29, so again, keeping in that mindset, it's about God doing a work in you to help others. So do not let any unwholesome talk, or that Greek word technically means rotten. So something that can deteriorate somebody else. Do not let any of that kind of talk Come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So verse 30, let me say that again because that's where I'll begin. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what does it mean when he says, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption? Well, let me... Take you back uh, in it for a moment, back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where it says that when you believed that in who Jesus is, that he is your, to be your Lord and he is to be your Savior, that when you believed and you gave yourself to his Lordship, that it says that God then sealed you in the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. So in the time that this was written, the idea of sealing would have been easily understood as an authentication that cannot be removed. So if a scroll was written and rolled up and wax was dripped on the seal of that scroll and then the seal representing who wrote it goes into it, it authenticates who that writing comes from. Seals were not something that could be removed. So in this case, when it says that when you believed God marked in you a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. He is saying, you have become God's possession. And the spirit realm with which Satan operates, he can look at you and he'll see that seal knowing you are God's possession. And that's important because that means there is very little that Satan can do to occupy you because you're occupied by the Holy Spirit. And so here's why that becomes really important. In John chapter 14, uh, it says that when given that Holy Spirit from God, that Holy Spirit's not just a mark that seals you and identifies you. That Spirit is now with you and in you to guide you into all truth. So that there's no mystery whatsoever to you as to what's upon God's heart. The Holy Spirit's meant to guide you. The Holy Spirit helps you understand the scriptures as well. The Holy Spirit's helping you understand what's being said right now. But the Holy Spirit then is the living person of God inside us and with us, walking beside us, guiding us into all truth and in us so that we feel the conviction and the promptings of the Spirit to know where to go. So when he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are sealed, he is saying that there is this person of God that is with you 24-7, that by the way you operate, you're either creating joy and harmony with him 
or you're grieving him. And so I want to kind of connect the dots here because this verse was stated in the middle of a text that's teaching us how to behave towards one another. So we're not to allow anger to be built up where it transforms how we speak to each other. We're not to say anything that could deteriorate or cause a rotting of the soul for somebody else. So our words are only to be building up towards another person. And with having said that, he says, and do not grieve the spirit who is in you. So to begin this off, I need to give you this statement because under the rest of the text, we'll understand it all from this phrase. Relational wholeness with the Spirit of God is essential to personal peace. Okay, let me say that again. Relational wholeness with the Spirit of God is essential to personal peace. I don't think there's a person in here that would not want personal peace. But the, to connect the dots is that if the Spirit of God is in you and with you, and we can grieve him by the behaviors we have with one another, then we need to understand that relational wholeness can only be accomplished with, uh, to where it leads to peace if we're relationally whole with the Spirit of God. And do you understand what I mean by relational wholeness? It means not broken, intact, complete, so having relational wholeness with the Spirit of God that's not broken is essential then to our personal peace. Which ultimately then says that if we're walking with the Spirit of God who's marked us and sealed us and he is with us always, then as we walk along the way every day, we're either walking with him wholly or we're walking with him in a broken context. And indicative of that will determine the level of peace you feel. So we're either delighting him or we're grieving him. So then the natural question is, is, well, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? I believe you get the answer in verse 31. So look at verse 31. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Again, context is, do not let anything come out of your mouth that would harm another person, that would not be whole to their being, because it says unwholesome. So in other words, where it would cause a brokenness in the relationship. So do not say anything that would do that, but only that which will build them up, and therefore be careful not to grieve the Spirit of God that's in you, that's guiding you on how to have whole relationships with each other and whole relationship with God himself. And then he says, so after don't grieve the Spirit, then he says, get rid of then all this bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, and every form of malice. Get rid of those things. And let's break that down. What's bitterness? Well, bitterness is holding on to an offense where somebody's offended you, and you hold on to that offense to a point where the mere thought of that person galls you. Do you feel me on that? You understand what I mean? Where somebody's offended you, and it bothers you so much, and you've, you've held on to it, that when they, their face comes to your mind, or somebody mentions their name, you immediately feel anger. That's when bitterness 
is beginning, has had its root in you. Because bitterness is the tentacles that comes off of anger. So we grieve the spirit of God when we allow bitterness to dictate our view of another. Secondly, it mentions rage and anger. Well, he's already spoken to that in verse 26 and 27, where it says, you know, in your anger, don't let it become sin, where it sets up how you then respond to another person. See, rage and anger become sinful when it becomes the impulse by which you act towards another person. Or then he mentions the word brawling. Now, I grew up understanding the term brawling as a, a, a good, good fight, you know, a, a wrestling on the ground. And, and, I, and I've only been in a couple of those in my life, and I, I would be embarrassed if that was ever shown on a screen, what my fighting looked like. But I do remember being in a brawling situation, and, and it was embarrassing. But in the text here, in the Greek, it actually is a Greek term that refers to shouting. But it's a shouting of a shouting down of a person to where they're not being heard and that your words stand over them. So bitterness, where it begins to taint your whole view of another person. Anger, where it becomes the impulse by how you treat them. And shouting, where your words become such where it's like you're tuning them out and you're just speaking as loudly as possible. And then there's slander. Slander is where we use our words to lower the view of a person in the eyes of others. So let's say there's that person that's offended you and they've really ticked you off and you know somebody else who also knows that person and you go to them and you begin to tell that other person why you don't like that person. What's the real motive there? If we're gonna get completely honest, it's we want them to view this person that offended you in the same way you view them. So you're slandering. You're causing people to say, I want you to look at this individual the same way I do. And it's not a good picture. Then there's malice. And what I love is it's kind of like this, he covered all forms of poor behavior between us and others when he says, and, and get rid of all forms of malice. Every form of malice, get rid of it. And malice being intentional actions where we're seeking the failure of another. Malice being any action that you would do to make sure that somebody else fails. And again, I think some of us would say, there's no malice in my heart. But yet, how often have we gone, again, using slander? We've used our words, we've used our actions, we've maybe chosen to act as if that person's not in the room so that others can follow your lead. We have a way of giving softer versions of malice where we tend to look at ourselves with rose-colored glasses. But when we do these things, we literally are grieving the spirit who is within us. You see, in verse 32... It gives us a, how the harmony of working with the Spirit looks like when we, by we, how we treat other people. Look at verse 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So if verse 31 was a list of the fruits of Satan, the fruits of demonic activity in our lives, 
The fruits of the Spirit are found in Galatians chapter 5. That's where we regularly reference. And there it's peace, love, joy, goodness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that are born of the Spirit when we're working and walking alongside of the Spirit and letting Him lead. Those are the things that are going to come out of us. But if you ignore the Spirit or you say, eh, I got this one, Holy Spirit, then the fruits of our lives become more and more like Satan himself. Bitterness, rage and anger, shouting down, slander, or malice. But harmony with the Spirit of God. Now, I really want you to hear this. Harmony with the Spirit of God is evidenced in our relational wholeness with others. Harmony with the Spirit of God is evidence in our relational wholeness with others. And again, that relational wholeness meaning that we are not operating in a way that breaks relationship. Relational wholeness will despise brokenness in relationship and will work to see brokenness be healed. And so harmony with the Spirit of God is evidenced by a relational wholeness with each other. And so therefore, the actions in response to somebody maybe who offended you would be kindness, compassion, or forgiveness as you have been forgiven much. Those are the actions of one who's operating in step or harmony with the Spirit of God in them. The one who despises the work of the spirit in them in regards to relationships with other people are going to have a lot of broken relationships because they love to hold grudges. They love to hold on to the, the heirs of another. They love to keep things broken until they're ready to see them fixed. That's not the spirit that comes from the spirit of God. Which then leads me to this statement. There is a direct correlation between the health of your relationship with God and the health of your relationship with others. Let that sink for a moment. There is a direct correlation between the health of your relationship with God and the health of your relationship with others. If you are experiencing a lot of relational brokenness around you, it's likely then that there is a relational brokenness going on between you and the Holy Spirit. And if there is a broken relationship with the Holy Spirit, then likely you're going to start seeing your relationships with people beginning to fracture. It goes both ways. There's a direct correlation. If you're in harmony with the Spirit of God, then you are about seeking harmony in relationship with others. If you're in harmony with relationship with others and you seek to make sure that when brokenness begins to take place that you're working and making sure it becomes whole again, then you are, it's indicative of likely that you're working under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you think that I might be pulling a little bit too much out of verses 30 and 32 to say that? Let me give you what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says this in verse 21 and 26, he says, yes, you heard it said that the law says, do not murder, but I hold this against you. 
So in other words, you're thinking you're all fine because you've not murdered anyone. But yet, he says, you hold anger in your heart to your brothers or sisters. And you try to bring gifts to me in worship? Leave your gift on the floor and go back and make things right with your brother or sister. And then come back and offer your gift. That's Jesus talking as the Son of God, part of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he's saying, listen, too many of you think that you're fine to offer a gift to me while despising people around you. 1 John chapter 4 talks about how you claim to love God, but I call you a liar. Because how can you love God yet hate your brother or sister whom you've seen? And God, you love someone you haven't seen. He basically, God calls you out multiple times in scripture that if you are holding on and embracing brokenness in relationships, yet you think you can just come and worship God and find unity with God and think it's all good and that you can compartmentalize that way, that, that, means that God's gonna be pleased with you? Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. In fact, Paul speaks to this as well when taking communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're given a lot of guidance on how we're to take communion with each other. And he calls out the church for taking communion with, bunch of, with many divisions among them. You see, communion has within its title unity. It's to practice a remembrance of remembering how we've been brought together in unity by one Savior, by one sacrifice, by one resurrection to create one church together under one grace. And so when we take communion, it's reminding each other that we're all on an equal plane, all firstborns in the kingdom of heaven, all in need of a Savior because all of us were depraved. And sinful. And then Christ does his work and transforms us into something that was incapable on our own, but is possible through him. And then we take communion to bring ourselves together to remind ourselves it's not us, it's Jesus. And then we're being called out by Paul saying, How dare you take communion while embracing divisions among you? It shouldn't be. It should not be that way. but yet we can convince ourselves. I can be right with God. I can be whole with God. Meanwhile, accepting and tolerating brokenness between me and another person. Now I get it, I get it. We can do everything possible to reconcile. It takes two to make that possible. But if we've made no effort to bring to wholeness that which is broken, don't convince yourself that that means that you're good with God and he's gonna be good with that. Oh, I get it, I get it. This person, yeah, they treated you kind of bad. It's all right, hold on to that. We can still be good. Turn to a chapter and verse to give me that direction, right? The brother of, of Jesus, James, wrote in his text in chapter three, verses nine and 10. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and our Father. And with it, we curse human beings 
who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes both praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We've been worshiping God today. And what would grieve God's heart is to worship him and want wholeness with him while embracing and holding on with tight fists, brokenness between ourselves and other people and justifying it. If we're gonna take serious the word of God, then we need to be willing to do what James also says. He says, look in the mirror, but don't quickly walk away from it. Because many people were guilty of hearing the word of God, looking in the mirror, and then just running away and forgetting what they look like. So I'd like to take some time to end this service here reflecting on three questions in regards to this text. So I'm going to give you time to ponder, to look in the mirror, and to not walk away from the mirror too quickly. The first question is this. Am I grieving the Spirit of God in me by the way I'm currently treating people around me? And I would encourage you to, if you're a child of God, you, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, to ask the Spirit to, to give you an honest answer to that. Are you grieving him by the way you're treating other people? Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit how you are doing in showing kindness, compassion, and offering forgiveness towards others, especially those who are most difficult to love. lastly is there someone I have malice towards in my heart that I need to reconcile with be bold enough courageous enough to ask God is there somebody in your life in your relational world your oikos that I need to reconcile with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's not a person here in this room that doesn't have some level of desire to have a relationship with you because they're here. Maybe it's small. Maybe their parents made them come. Maybe they got coaxed by a friend to come. But there's something in their heart that would acknowledge that it would be good to have a relationship with you. God, would you just show them the fullest extent of your love? 
as they reach out to you in this moment? And would you also, in this moment, for those that are your children of God, that are holding on to broken relationships and justifying it, can you also speak to their heart and give them the courage and the boldness to trust you on this and to walk in harmony with the Spirit to that end? We acknowledge we are frail beings and we, and we want to protect our hearts. And part of the reason why we let brokenness continue is because we're too afraid to experience more pain. So give us the courage to take that risk. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand please?
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, and he gave that communion opportunity for the first time, he had started that night by washing their feet and taking on such a low position before those he carried, cared about. And then he speaks the hardest words that I think that were spoken was to acknowledge that one of the ones he had just washed the feet of, and the one, one that had also participated in the communion, was going to actually betray him that very night. The disciples couldn't believe that such a thing could happen, and so what did they do? They began to argue about which one was greater. And then Jesus confronted that. He said in verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone else will know that you are my disciples, a follower of me, if you love one another. And just like a family that has that particular special person in their family, it's just hard to love. So we as believers in a bigger family recognize that it's not always easy to be known for our love. 
But if we're walking in step with the Spirit of God, that will be exactly what we do. We're always going to seek relational wholeness with God and with each other. So let the Word of God drip over you and let the Holy Spirit speak into you. Lest our character and our soul give a platform to our enemy who would wish him to become more like him. If you would like to pray with someone this morning to talk with them about some things that may be heavy on your heart or just have prayer over you, we'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to do so. There's no perfect people here in this room, so you can probably find anybody willing to have this discussion or to pray with you to give these things over to God and then be courageous enough to make things right. So may the word of God and the spirit of God speak to each of us as we leave and depart here today. Amen.